Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. The passage today is Judges 4, 1 through 10 and 12 through 16. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ahab died. So the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harishathagoim. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly 20 years. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, son of Ebenoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take position at Mount Tabor, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kashan with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. And if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 warriors went up behind him, and Deborah went up with him. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all of his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the troops who were with him, from Harishath to the Wadi Kishan. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day on which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. The Lord is indeed going out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 warriors following him. And the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and all his army into a panic before Barak. Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. While Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Hereshath all the army of Sisera fell by the sword. No one was left. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Betsy. Welcome. <laughs> that was a fun one, wasn't it? Wasn't it? I promise I didn't pick that one just because it had a bunch of really difficult names in it. It just so happened that the story that I wanted to talk about had all those names. So thank you very much for doing that. I appreciate it. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Dan Cook. For those of you who don't know me, um, it is a blessing every time I get to speak to this community. I thank you. Thank you very much for showing up today. Uh, you know, Zoom isn't ideal, obviously. Uh, as we just saw with Betsy's connection dropping there, but 
you know, we're all trying to do our part as this pandemic just keeps getting worse and worse. And, and we cross our fingers and we try to do what we can, wear our masks, keep social distancing. And hopefully the next time that I get to talk to you all would be in person. Uh, pray to God. So we got a lot to talk about today. So I want to dive right in. So if you would join me for a quick prayer, we'll get started. May these words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 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 So again, we just noticed that uh, my dear friend Betsy read scripture today. And those of you that have been here for a long time know this. Those that you have, haven't been here long uh, may have noticed the pattern. And those of you who are new, it's always worth revisiting. Uh, but every time we have you know, a male preacher at Genesis, we have a female read speak, uh, the scripture. And every time we have a female preacher at Genesis, we have the male read the scripture. And that's done very intentionally. Because we believe that both men and women are created in the image of their creator. Uh, which means that God isn't gender neutral, but as Steve likes to say, God is gender full. God encompasses all of gender. And we believe that the gifts of God also are distributed amongst all of the genders. But unfortunately, that hasn't always been the case. That hasn't always been the practice of the church. And in fact, there are churches today who, who operate under what's called a complementarian theology where they believe that there are certain roles reserved for men and certain roles reserved for women by God, and that those two complement each other so there's no power imbalance. The trouble is, we live in a broken world. And so there always is a power imbalance. Because funny, when it's men who are usually making this theology, it's men that get the leadership roles. And what I want to suggest today is that when theology focuses on who's in charge instead of whom we serve, we're kind of doing it wrong. I don't want to suggest that through the story of Deborah, one of the judges of ancient Israel. And so there's three movements that I want to take us through in this story. I want to talk about leadership. I want to talk about partnership. And I want to talk about what happens when those two things come together. But we have to start with a little bit of history. Now, if Steve gave me 40 minutes, uh, I'd do a whole lot of history on the book of Judges. Uh, I'd probably put half of you to sleep. So it's probably good that he doesn't give me that amount of time. Uh, but I do want to get through a little bit of history of the book of Judges so you kind of understand the context that Deborah is operating in. The book of Judges, think of it the timeline this way. So we have Moses who leads the people from Egypt to the promised land, but he's not able to enter into the promised land with him. That, that honor is reserved for Joshua. Joshua leads the people into the promised land and they all settle there. There's nations surrounding them. So Joshua calls all the people together right before he dies and says, let's renew our covenant with God. Let's remember that we are a holy people. To be holy means to be set apart which doesn't mean physically set apart necessarily. Economically, they had to interact with the other nations around them. But it means that they follow one God and one God only, whereas other nations might have multiple gods, other nations might be changing gods on the regular. Israel is going to be committed to Yahweh and to Yahweh only. That's their set apartness. So that's the covenant that they renew at the end of Joshua's life. And then we find ourselves in the book of Judges, where there's not necessarily earthly leadership for a while. That covenant renewal goes well for about 40 years or so. And then the people start to stray. And then as they're interacting with other nations around them, well, that God looks kind of good. Maybe I'll worship that God, or maybe this other God will help, you know, with fertility, or maybe this other God will help with the, with the crop. And so they start to stray, which is the very nature of sin. That's what sin is. Sin is missing the mark. That's the definition of sin. So God has set the people on a trajectory. Now they're straying from that trajectory. They're going to miss the mark. That's sin. Sin carries with it its own set of consequences. And so we end up saying, 
<laughs> Steve, so you're saying people being dissatisfied with government is not a new thing. No, no, it is not. Um, so what we're saying is that there's a the cycle in the book of Judges. Where the people stray from God, sin come, brings with it its own set of consequences, usually in the form of another nation oppressing them. The people cry out to God for help. God raises up a judge. That judge's job is to lead the people back to that trajectory God had set forward for their life, to lead them back to that holy nature and thereby get rid of the oppression. That happens. The people know peace for, again, about a generation, and then they start to forget the lesson, and the cycle repeats itself, and it repeats itself over and over and over again. And as Steve so astutely pointed out, <clears throat> we don't have any problem with that at all today, right? Right? We don't forget the lessons of our past. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but let's talk about Deborah. Deborah is the fourth judge in Israel's history. She's the only female judge. Now, those folks that I talked about earlier that like to reserve leadership roles for exclusively men, those folks would tell you that she's the exception to the rule. I would tell you that's silly and that she's just plain exceptional. And here's why. Everything we know about her is contained in the book of Judges, chapter 4 and chapter 5. Now, if you look at verses 4 and 5, and then a little bit I'm going to mention it from chapter 5, it describes her as a prophet. She's not just a judge. She's also a prophet. She's someone whose wisdom and counsel was sought out by people from all over the nation. Chapter 5, she's described as a mother in Israel, a mother of the whole nation. And in verse 4, there's an interesting little phrase there, wife of Lapidoth. She's described as a wife. Now, if you have this strong woman who's raised up as a leader of the entire nation of Israel, why, is it, why does it matter whose wife she is? It's a fair question, right? And wife of Lapidoth is the standard translation. You find it across all kinds of translations. but there are scholars now that are starting to think that maybe there's a different way to look at this because that word Lapidoth can also be translated as torch or fire. Lapidoth, if it's a person, is never mentioned again in the rest of the Bible. So either this guy is completely pointless other than being Deborah's husband, in which case we've sort of got it reversed. Shouldn't Lapidoth be the husband of Deborah rather than Deborah being the wife of Lapidoth? Or perhaps it wasn't meant to be interpreted as a noun. Perhaps it was meant to be interpreted as an adjective and describing her fiery spirit. That's what some scholars are starting to believe. And I think there's good evidence for that if you look at her behavior in the rest of this passage. So the people have strayed, as we said earlier. That's the cycle of the book of Judges. The people have strayed from soul worship of Yahweh, and they're worshiping other gods, and they're interacting with other folks in ways that God had not intended them to interact. And the result is that for the last 20 years, they've been oppressed by the kingdom of Canaan, specifically King Jabin. King Jabin has a very formidable military force. It says in verse 2 that he had 900 chariots made of iron. Now, I won't get into ancient military history too deeply, except to say that the chariot in ancient times was essentially what the tank is now, right? It's a formidable weapons platform. And if you have a chariot made out of iron, that's that much more difficult to destroy and therefore that much more powerful. The point is that they had a very, very powerful military and Israel didn't. And that's marked off right at the beginning of the story because that's going to be an important detail coming up. So that's the basic background of where we are and what's going on. God has raised Deborah up to deal with the fact that the folks have strayed, there's oppression at the hands of the Canaanites, and she needs to lead the people back to God. That's what's going on. So I wanted to start with that first movement that I mentioned, leadership. And this is going to bring up our first all play of the day. So uh, go ahead and type in the chat your answer to the following question. When I talk about leadership, when I say, when I talk about somebody being a leader, what does being a leader mean to you all? Go ahead and type in the chat. 
leading by example. Thank you, Bob. They listen. Thank you, Betsy. Coming up from under, underneath someone, I think is what Hannah was trying to say there. Jesse, servitude. That's going to be an important point. Thank you for that. Admitting mistakes. Excellent point, Rajan. Having influence, Allie. Thank you. Taking a group of people with different beliefs to achieve a common goal. Matt, quit stepping on my touchdown call. Hi, Mark. In order to lead, um, you, in order to lead, you get you most get people to you get the most people to follow. Joan, someone who holds the care of their people. Going somewhere, people want to go there. They'll they'll follow too. Thank you, Nathan. Able to guide the group. Wow, you guys are great. You could just why don't you all just do the sermon? You basically are hitting all my points. This is fantastic. And spotlight leadership, letting others shine or shining a light on others' strengths. You guys are hitting all these great points. It's perfect. This is so good. This is so good. Thank you for all of that. I want to point out, or I want to make the case that Deborah is clearly made out to be a leader, not only in this passage, but in her, the entirety of her description. First of all, that's what a judge does. And it's not necessarily about the title. It's about the role itself, right? God has ordained this individual to, to step up, be a leader, and lead people back to God. So by definition, she's a leader. But look at this lection that we're talking about. Look at a couple of verses here, verse 5 and verse 6. If you look at verse 5, it says that she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. I'm sure I got some of all those names wrong. And the Israelites came up to her for judgment. That's what verse 5 says. Now, this hill country that they're talking about was one of those places that wasn't anywhere in and of itself important, but it was on the way to everywhere that was important in Israel. So Deborah has strategically placed herself in a spot so that as many travelers as possible have access to her. As many people that are, are traveling throughout Israel have access to her. Leadership is smart. Leadership is strategic. And that's what Deborah is displaying here, right? She's putting herself in a position where she has access to and the most people have access to her. That's what leadership is, is, all, is a smart way of trying to judge people, to trying to provide wisdom, to try and provide counsel to as many people as possible. That's what she does when she puts herself in this spot. Leadership is smart. Verse 6 tells us that she had the power or the authority to summon a military commander and give him direction from God. Now, again, this is a patriarchal society. The fact that a woman is leading is something in and of itself. But the fact that a woman has the ability to order a man around, especially a military leading man, is something to make a point of, right? So she sends out a message to Barak, the leader of the military, and says, I've got a message from God. We got to talk. And Barak shows up without complaint, by the way. Now, as I said earlier, she's got the title of judge, but leadership isn't about titles. Think about it in your own work situation. How many of you have been in a workplace with somebody who's technically your supervisor, who has the title, but doesn't have the competence, doesn't have your trust? When there's a problem, that's not the individual you go to. And conversely, how many of you have worked someplace where you have a leader there who doesn't have a title at all, but does have competence and does have your trust? When there's a problem, if you bring it to that individual, they're going to have an answer or they're going to at least be able to point you in the right direction. Leadership isn't about having titles. Leadership is about having people's trust. Leadership is about having competence. Leadership is about getting people to show up without complaint or dissension. And that's what Deborah does here. She summons Barak. Barak shows up. Deborah's clearly laid out to be a leader. Now, the second movement I want to talk about is partnership, her ability to form partnerships. So just like last time, let's do another all play. When I say what makes a good partner, and you can use that in any context you want, personal life, work life, whatever. When I say what makes a good partner, go ahead and type in the chat box and tell me what you think makes a good partner. 
This is where I wish I had Allie's music in the background, the little Nintendo music. Rajan, communicate. Thank you. Pam Hack, trust. Excellent. Jill Ruff, someone you can depend on. Kara, sharing of power. Jesse, respect equality. Uh, listener, Michelle, thank you. Bob, an equal in every way. That's a great point. Steve, being willing to go back and forth with you. Ooh, that's a good one. I like that. Matt, someone who will get up with the kid when you want to sleep. Danica, thank you very much for that. Willing to ask for help. Will, excellent. Collegiality, Bob, excellent. Those are all great answers, guys. You guys are great. Man, you guys are killing it today. Help taking up the load. The ability to bring balance to a relationship. Mark, thank you very much. So what does it mean to be a great partner? Well, part of what I want to suggest is that part of what makes Deborah such a great leader was her ability to form partnerships, right? A good partner knows that they can't do everything on their own, that they need help in certain areas. I want to point you to a book, and I, I use this as part of my uh, preparation for this week. I don't know if you can see this. It's called From Widows to Warriors. It's a, it's a, it's a book by Lynn Japinga that talks about all the stories of women in the Old Testament. Not terribly long, but a really, really good book and really gives you some things to think about. In this book, when they're talking about Deborah, when Lynn's talking about Deborah, she says this, grace can come in the form of a leader who can identify the gifts of others, encourage their use, and stand alongside people in difficult situations. I want to read that again. Grace can, you guys hit all these points. This is fantastic. Grace can come in the form of a leader who can identify the gifts of others, encourage their use, and stand alongside people in difficult situations. You see, Deborah knows that she's not a military strategist, right? If she was a more egotistical leader, she could take this message from God that we'll talk about in just a second and say, well, wait a minute. No, actually, let's talk about it right now. I believe it's in verse six and seven, okay? Where the, the message that she receives from God, go take a position at Mount Tabor, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Nephtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. That's the message that God gives to Deborah to give to Barak. If Deborah was a more egotistical leader, if Deborah wasn't interested in forming partnerships, she could take that message and say, well, wait a minute, God's going to deliver us victory here. I want to be in charge. I want to take the army to the Wadi Kishon, and I want to defeat uh, the Canaanites and King Jabin's army because God gave it to me to be in charge. Why shouldn't I do that, right? But that's not what Deborah's skill set is. Leading the army isn't what Deborah's skill set is. Her skill set, her gifts from God are as a prophet, which means to deliver a message from God to the people. And that's what she does. She summons Barak and tells Barak, here's the message from God. Here's what you've got to do. She identifies Barak's gifts at a, as a military leader, encourages him to use them, and as we're going to see in a second, she's going to stand by him as he does. That's the kind of leadership God provides us, right? God has blessed us with gifts after gift after gift. God is constantly encouraging us to use those gifts to the benefit of not just ourselves, but to all of our family and all of our community. And we know from multiple, multiple scripture evidence that God stands by us in difficult times. That's the kind of leadership God provides. That's the kind of leadership Deborah is providing. And she does so by forming a partnership with Barak now, or Barak. See, I've been practicing that all week, and I knew I was going to kick it. <clears throat> so it's e it'd be easy, as you look at this, to kind of be critical of Barak, right? But if you look at his response in verse 9, or verse 8, I'm sorry, his response to Deborah delivering this message, he says, if you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. So what's that about? What's going on there? I mean, is he scared of taking the blame if, he, if they lose? Remember, this is a military mismatch of all military mismatches. King Jabin's army has 900 chariots made of iron and the attendant infantry to go along with it. All barracks bring into the party is 10,000 infantry. 
Sun Tzu would say that's a horrible, horrible situation to enter battle going into if you're the Israelites. And yet that's what the Israelites are being called to do by God. God says, don't worry, I got this. I'm going to disrupt their army and you will have victory in this, in this case. So why is, Brock, why is Barak hesitating? Why? Is he trying to cover his backside? Maybe. Maybe. I like to read this differently. I like to look at this as Barak saying, I recognize your gifts as a leader, Deborah. I understand you've got the bat phone to God. So while we're going to enter into this situation as big underdogs, I know that. My men are going to know that. If you're there, we know that you've got the conduit to God. We know that when you say God is with us, it's a visible reminder to the, to the, to the soldiers, to the warriors, that you're there, that God's with them, that God has made them his promise, and it's a promise that they can rely on. That's what I think is going on there. Just as Deborah has recognized Barak's gifts, Barak is recognizing Derek, uh, Deborah's gifts. What's interesting is her response, right? In verse nine, she says, well, look, I'll paraphrase. Look, Barak, that's great. I'll go with you. But if I go and we win, understand that people are going to give me credit. They're not going to give you credit for this win. And we're not given Barak's exact response to that point, but Deborah does go and end up going along to this battle. So clearly he didn't change his mind about wanting her there. And the point there is that partnership isn't about who gets the credit. Partnership is about getting the job done, right? And both Barak and Deborah realize that. They recognize each other's gifts. They're going to encourage their use. And they're going to stand by each other in difficult situations. That's what partnership is all about. And that leads us to the third movement here, which is what happens when leadership and partnership come together. We've all heard the cliche, the cliched acronym TEAM, right? Together, everyone accomplishes more. Part of the reason things like that are cliche is because there's truth in them. And there's truth in the sum being greater, the total being greater than the sum of its parts, right? Working together with leadership and partnership in this situation isn't about arbitrarily limiting gifts to specific genders. It's about recognizing gifts wherever they may be found and making room for those gifts to be used to their maximum potential. So in this particular election, if you look in the lectionary, all you're going to see is Judges, uh, Judges chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. That's all that's in the election. Now, I don't know how you can do that and not talk about the partnership that we see in verses 8 through 10, so I had to add that in. And again, thank you, Betsy, for reading this. Uh, <laughs> I also had to add in verses 12 through 16 because I want you to see what happens when the partnership and the leadership come together, right? They show up. For the battle, Deborah says to Barak, up, for this is the day on which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. The Lord is indeed going out before you. That's verse 14. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 warriors following, following him and the Lord through Sisera and all his chariots and his army into a panic before Barak. Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. Essentially, they win. When, leadership, when solid leadership and smart partnership come together, we find success. That's God's path. We're following God's path. We find success. Now, that isn't universal. That doesn't happen 100% of the time, but it's our best shot. It's the best way to interact with this world following God's path, bringing that solid leadership and that partnership together that helps us lead to the life that God wants for us. And that's where I want to broaden this out and talk about how, what this means to us here today. I talked earlier about the idea of complementarianism. I talked about how... <clears throat> Folks that follow that path believe that there are certain roles for men and certain roles for women. That's obviously not the path we follow here at Genesis. And I'm grateful for that. 
Because I think when you take theology and focus it on who gets to be in charge instead of who we get to serve, we're doing that wrong. What do I base that on? Well, I base that on following Jesus. Both Matthew and Mark in their gospels quote Jesus saying this, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. Let me read that again. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve. The focus isn't on who gets to be in charge. The focus is on who we get to serve. That's what following the path of Jesus is all about. That's what following the path of God is all about. John, in his gospel, takes this phrase and broadens it out into this wonderful scene in chapter 13, where at the Last Supper, Jesus goes around, strips down to a towel, and goes around and washes the feet individually of each and every one of his disciples, and then stops and turns to them and say, that's what leadership is. Leadership is service. Leadership is not about who gets to be in charge. Leadership is about who we get to serve. I want to tell you that I believe we need female preachers. We need female teachers. We need female leaders. The Bible, again, look at all these stories in this book. The Bible is littered with stories of female leaders and female teachers and female preachers. And we do well to follow them. I heard somebody once, and I wish I knew who it was, I wish I remembered who it was, talk about that when they go through the lectionary and they're looking on what passage they're going to preach on, as soon as they see the story of a woman in the Bible, that's what they're going to talk about. And I thought that was a neat idea because those stories and those, and those ideas, those passages often get short shrift. And so that's why when I saw this passage on Deborah today, I knew right away that's what I was going to be preaching on. The Bible has all kinds of stories of female leaders. And I am so grateful to be part of a community and part of a church that has such tremendous female leaders, be it on our elder board, be it on staff, be it on the women that have sat in the pulpit. We have all kinds of terrific women leaders here. And it's important that we have terrific women leaders here. Because here's what I've realized over the last, I don't know, decade or two, that as a white man, I experience the, the world, I experience scripture, I experience God, I experience other people in a very specific way, not in a universal way at all but in a very specific way. And what I've learned is that women experience those things differently. People of color experience those things differently. The LGBTQIA community experiences those things differently. And that if I'm to understand the difference between how I experience those things and how they experience those things, I need to let them teach me. I need to have the humility to say, I don't know it all. I need to let, allow them to be teachers for me. Because as they teach me, as my knowledge base grows and understanding how women experience scripture, how women experience life, how women experience God, my ability to be compassionate and my ability to have empathy grow at the same rate. And that's the essence of loving one another is having compassion and having empathy. That's why we need to have women teachers and women preachers and women leaders. So I want to close with this. And I want to say this to everybody at Genesis, but specifically I want to say this to the women at Genesis. And specifically, I want to say this to the young women at Genesis. So I understand, you know, um, I'm not, look, I'm not Miss Allie. I'm not, okay? I don't, the donkey's not going to show up. I don't have a voice. But if you're a young woman at Genesis, if your name's Freya or Ruthie or Sloan or Junia or Agnes or Linnea or Lorelai, or any of the other names, I'm sorry if I've left your name out. But if you're one of the young women at Genesis, I want you to hear this. And I want you to hear this very specifically, okay? You ready? God loves you very much. God loves you so much that she has lavished you with gifts. And she has lavished you with gifts, not for you to hold them back or not to have you 
to, to limit them to a certain group of people. But she has lavished you with gifts, some of which you don't even know about yet. And that's the exciting thing. You get to grow up and find out all these gifts and find out how to use them. But she's given you these gifts because she wants you to use them. We don't put the lamp under a bowl. We put the lamp on the stand for everybody to see. She wants you to use those gifts, not just for yourself, but for your family and for the benefit of your entire community. So I want you to hear this. If you feel called to preach, go preach. If you feel called to be a pastor, if you feel called to be a counselor, if you feel called to lead worship, if you feel called to be a teacher, if you feel called to be an organizer, if you feel called to be a leader of any kind, go lead. And don't let anybody or anything stand in your way. Because here's the thing, and this is very important. You don't need anyone's permission to follow God's call in your life. I want to say that again. You do not need anyone's permission to follow God's call in your life. God called Deborah and she responded and followed God's call in her life. And she turned out to be one of the, one of the best leaders in ancient Israelite history. Whatever God's call is in your life, follow God's call. And don't let anybody or anything get you in the way. Make no mistake, there are people in this world that are going to put obstacles in your way, that are going to try and put barriers to your leadership in your way. But that's where God comes in, right? God has lavished you with gifts. God is encouraging you to use those gifts. And God will stand by you as those obstacles and those barriers show up and will help you get around them, get over them, get through them, whatever it is. Follow God's call in your life because you do not need anyone's permission to follow that call. Follow God's call in your life. Can I get an amen? Thank, oh, I already got a bunch. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <sighs> follow God's call in your life. It's just so important. It's just so important. That's how I ended up here. That's how plenty of people that have been in this pulpit have ended up here. And I don't care if you're a man or you're a woman, if you've got the gifts from God, if you're feeling the call from God, follow that call. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like, like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.